So you might wonder why I'm up here. So this all started in the summer. Um, Marty at an elder meeting said somebody had brought up, maybe we should have a discussion about application of revelation. How do you apply this? And so, and he kind of looked around the room at the other elders to see if anybody was biting and nobody said anything. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll think about it. I should at least think about it. And so I came back next time and I told Marty he's out of his mind. <laughs> that there is no way you could have application for revelation. That doesn't happen. And then, then it kept in the back of my mind. And finally, um, I thought I had an idea. And then that idea started to grow and grow and grow. And about three days ago, it was about a six-part series on application and revelation. As of last night, it was down to about two hours. When I sent Marty the slides, it's still about two hours. And, and I thought, okay, so we're... I was busily cutting things out all last night and this morning. Anyway, I think I've got something to share. Hope. I think it will help us with some of the application of um, Revelation. That's a big book. And, and it's been exciting for me. I don't know about the rest of you. Just going through um, what Alan and Marty and Randy have done uh, gives me a whole different perspective on, on what it is. It's now a book that... Um, it's, it's rising up on one of my, you know, on the, the favorites list of, of books, just because it is so big. It, it seems to tie together so much. So today, let's see. Fired up. Okay, first one. So we're going to start here, and this is how uh, I'll read quickly. So when I said two hours, I wasn't joking. <laughs> so I'll try to move this along. Okay, so let me read. You, you follow with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and this is our part here. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So blessed are those who hear. We've heard for the last, how many weeks? 40, 46. 46 weeks we've been hearing. So blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written. So hopefully, that's what we're going to hear today. How do you keep it? So let me keep going here. You know, I was going to do a quick overview of Revelation. I don't know if I can do this quickly, but I'm going to run it. And, and there's a reason for running it. I think it was Randy that told me um, it's good just to sit and read the whole book. Just go through it all at once. There's a, that's probably how the early church uh, heard it. And so, so I'm going to I'll run it quickly. I'll do 46 weeks here in about two minutes. Watch this. <clears throat> Okay, so we have the, the revelation. Um, we already have talked about this before. It came from God to Jesus, to the angel, to John, to the churches, and the churches, and, and we're the other people who hear. So that's us. And, and it's important. That's important. That's just how the, the prophets of old, they spoke with the authority of God, and that's what John's telling us here. He got this from God and Jesus, the angel, and he presents it to us. There's, uh, we begin with the five letters, or first we begin with a scene in heaven where um, we see Jesus, and he's among a bunch of lampstands. And then we go through the five the churches. There's actually seven churches. Five of the churches are actually struggling. They're not doing too well. Um, they have direction to repent. 
two of the churches are, they seem to be doing well, but they, they are not wealthy, they're beaten down, they're in tribulation. Um, they just don't have much, but they don't get told to repent. They're actually doing okay, and so you have kind of a mix here. Uh, each of the churches is told to conquer, so even the ones that aren't doing well, they're told you have to conquer, and, and we'll get to that. That's part of the, how do you apply what we're getting here. But all of them, it's important, we're struggling. There's a struggle going on for the ones who are doing well, struggling, for the ones who are not doing well and need to repent, struggling. Um, I'll just touch briefly. So Smyrna and Philadelphia, those were the guys who were doing well. The others, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea, not so good. Um, we have a scene next where we see God on his throne, and then we see the lamb who was slain, and then we start with the seals. And this is where we kind of make a shift, and, and John makes a shift in his what he's seeing also. And so the, what we see next is um, Jesus starting to open these seals. And, and there's a, a kind of a, we've talked about this and we've got diagrams and charts and everything for this, but just the flow of this is we start with seals. And so you've got a scroll. We've got seven seals. Seven seals because Jesus takes the scroll and God seal it seven times. You can infer all kinds of things about that. I think it's not reaching too far. If you sealed it once, that would have been adequate. You seal it twice, you'd probably be making sure people actually believe that this is really what I wanted to say. There's no doubt. You seal it three times, it's getting a little bit more. If you get to seven, we all know what seven means, right? That's a, that's a perfection number. And so seven times it's sealed. Seven times God's telling us, this is it. This is what I want. This is what's going to happen. So Jesus starts to open these seals, and this is where, and we have these interludes in between, but the flow is we're going to open seals, starting with that. Um, as the seals get open, we see wars, we see pestilence, we see famine, we see um, people, I guess the, it sounds like the economy is probably not doing too well. We see peace taken from the earth. We also get to see the, the people who have been slain for Jesus' name. They're under the under the table um, by God, and, and they cry out, How long, O Lord? And we remember all these things. And then, then the last, or the sixth seal, actually, um, we have some people running to the mountains, and they go into the caves, and they cry out to the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the wrath of God. And, and then we have the sealing of the 144,000, so that's kind of an aside. We're off, God's taking care. He's sealing people, his kingdom. And then there's a great multitude who worship. And then we get back to the, we've done the seals, the second, the seventh seal gets taken off and we start into the trumpets. So again, the pattern is, here's the scroll, I peel off the seals and things are happening. Kind of a, a precursor to what we're about to see. And then we have trumpets. Every, every um, after that seal, we got a, a procession of seven trumpets. And these trumpets are, trumpets are loud, right? They, they are used to announce things that are coming, that, that something big is about to happen, and it's done with authority. And it's not a, a quiet instrument. This is a, a trumpet, right? So you can kind of sense we're building here. We're building. Before we get to the final trumpet, we're introduced to the, there's um, two witnesses, and, and we see they're given authority, and they can prophesy, and they can also um, cast plagues. They can make the 
oceans turn into blood and and um, and at some point they die after three and a half years they are killed and and then they are raised from the dead and they go up to heaven and so it's not too sure what to do with all of that other than a reminder that God is in charge that God even when we die we go to heaven that, that there is hope for resurrection then we start into the the bowls and the bowls are bad this is all of them are bad but again it's kind of building and we're repeating in a lot of ways but if you just sense what's going on it just keeps building seals trumpets now bowls start pouring out and things are bad they're very bad and then finally um, we see Satan fall all of Babylon falls and they're gone and after and and um, Satan is not yet bound up but we we see that the the prophet or the false prophet and the, the beast are thrown into the lake of fire. There's a celebration in heaven and then we have the marriage of the lamb. And then after that there's a thousand years and then Satan is released once more. We have big battle and Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then there's the great white throne judgments where we all get to stand before God and explain to him how we lived our lives, what are my works, good, bad, and then we find out that there's a new heaven and a new earth for those whose names are written in the single book. Remember that? There's one book, and then there's books. And again, very sobering. And God says, I'm making everything new. And then we have the bride of Christ, which is us. If we are faithful and we persevere and we are conquerors, then we get to be there. And so, so you go through all of this, and, and it, it kind of swings from messages to the church it swings to this crescendo of judgment and then heaven and then you think okay how do I keep these words what part do I have here there's no direction that says do this right we're not told to do anything specifically and so that's that's kind of where I, I struggle when Marty told me this would be a nice idea and I told him he's out of his mind this is where I ended up right it's like what do I do with this so, so then the, the first question is, so, you know, are we in the end times right now? Most people would ask that. In fact, a lot of the interpretations for Revelation are that everybody's trying to make the links. We're in the last times. This is it. We're getting close. And so, so you, you kind of ask yourself, so are we really in the end times? And is that important? That's really the, the question. Is it important? And the Bible does tell us some things. I think, uh, let's see where I'm at here. Yeah, okay, so this is after Jesus dies. He's resurrected, and he says, and Jesus said, came and said to them, this is he's talking to the apostles and disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we know we're that far, right? We know he's in heaven, he's got authority. And then in Hebrews, we have a little more explanation. You have made, it for, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. So at present, now, when they're writing this, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. He hasn't, he's not back, right? We don't have new heavens and new earth. But we see him for a little while, while <clears throat> but we see him for, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So, so we see Jesus is crowned, he's in glory, everything is in subjection to him, and he waits, he waits to, to do things. But we don't know, are we 
do we have do I have seals being peeled off? Do I have trumpets ready to go? And then the next question is, um, does that really make any difference? Let me just go one more here. Not yet. <laughs> okay, so the question is, does it make a difference? Does it really make a difference where we are? When we spend all of our time trying to lay out timelines of, of the end times, does it make a difference? And I think the answer is no. Um, I think that the right question to be asking is, should the time we're living in make a difference in how we live our lives before God? We, we know that there are people who struggle around the world and who die even now, even today. We know Fulani tribesmen kill Christians in Africa. We know people in Indonesia die. We know people in India die for their witness and for their faithfulness to God. It's always a little difficult to argue that they're not in some kind of tribulation, whether the tribulation, but they struggle and they die. And so really the question is, how do we walk? Is it application of revelation? Does it have to be specific to the end times? And the answer, again, is no. So there's a few things before I get any farther. A few things, we kind of talked about the whole big series of what's going on in Revelation. A few observations. Um, and, and I'll carry these through later, but let me just make them now. So all the churches were struggling. Um, again, we know the two churches who are doing well. If you looked at how they were doing, you would probably say they're not doing well. They're, they're not crystal cathedral type places. They are poor and they're beat down and they're tired and they, they're just getting by. And yet they're the ones who are commended. They're told to just remain faithful. I've got your back. I'll take care of you. We'll see you in heaven, right? It's kind of a paraphrase. <laughs> so the other five though the other five are not doing well somehow they have stopped walking with the Lord somehow they have they have kind of kept doing the Christian things but they're not doing they're not their heart is not in it they, they've let themselves slip the second observation is is um, just reading through Revelation it's really clear that we're going to reign with Jesus which is amazing um, it's almost too big. Sometimes I always think of heaven as, can I just scrape by this life and, and let me just lay on the steps somewhere, right? I don't think I'm going to quite make it. Often what I've said, sometimes I felt like I'm a salmon going upstream and I will get to the end and I'll die and that'll be a good life. And, and I, I think God wants more than that for us. Third observation is some of the contrasts. And this is, again, I think a little more specific to Revelation, you really get to see the contrast between heaven and hell. You get to see heaven, which is amazing, right? We, we see that it's got all these foundations. We see that we are in the presence of God, that there's no more suffering, there's no more crying, there's no more hurt, no more pain, no more sickness. As they get older and, and deal with age, sicknesses become way more important. Um, all that's gone, it's disappeared. And so heaven is, and, and even more than that, far more than all of that is this, we're in the presence of God. We actually get to see him, to speak with him, and we get to speak with all these people we've read about in the Bible, right? It's like, that's going to take me the first couple hundred years. Then we get to, to the lake of fire and to hell, and we look at all the punishments that get poured out on the earth, and this is where the contrast is so stark, is we have heaven, which is so much more than we can imagine, so much more than we could ever even 
think of. How do I, how would I even make heaven that good? You know, heaven for me is I get to go to the beach for a few days. That's pretty good, right? It's way better than that. But hell, this hell that we see in the judgments that are poured out, this hell is a, it is a, a hellish place. It's, a, it's all bad. The punishments are bad. The separation from God at the end is bad. And I almost think in the back of my mind, first thought is, why so bad? Why so harsh? My second thought is, is you really don't understand how bad your sin is and how graceful God is to us. And so we need to calibrate. But again, the, the contrasts are so big. Heaven and hell are, are explained so well. And so the, now we get back to what's the application here? So the, the first observation was people are struggling in these churches. And, and I think we all understand struggle. If you are of any age at all, an adult, and especially if you've got families or, or people you care for, there's a struggle continually in this life. And our struggle, it, it seems like it's first with men, but it's always with God. Even when we struggle with people on this earth, in our work, in our or whatever recreational things we do when we struggle, the struggle is always, are you following God? Are you walking in his ways? And then there's sometimes the struggle is directly with God. I get cancer. I, I get sick. Something happens. And the question is, why? Why am I sick? Why did this happen? Why does this make any sense at all? And we see those struggles. We see them all through the Old Testament. We see them in the New Testament. People always struggle. This is not news to us, but somehow um, I always have the impression that I'm, I'm not going to struggle, that that's not going to happen. Or somehow I struggle through this event, and then, then it's going to be beautiful for a while. And the answer is no. You will always struggle. And again, the struggle is there's a purpose in it. And the purpose is, if you know the Lord, the purpose is we struggle so that we can learn to trust the Lord, so that we listen to him in our pain, in our and are just not liking what we're going through. We don't want to be here, especially when it's hard. We do not want to be in the middle of that. And yet God puts us there for a reason. And he asks us what he has asked us from the, the Garden of Eden is, do you trust me? Do you believe me? And, and ultimately, do you love me enough to struggle and trust that I'll walk you through this when it makes no sense and it's hard? And so... Just going back, the, the struggles, sometimes looking at the struggles of other people is a good way, and you can look at your own life, and I'm sure we all do, but the struggle of um, Jacob when he, looking at the clock here, <coughs> <laughs> the struggle of Jacob um, when he was going to meet Esau. We have this situation where he's just left Laban, his father-in-law, it's been 20 years he's worked for him. Um, He's ready to go. God told him, go back to your people, go back to your land where Abraham and Isaac were. And so, so he makes his way. And he finds out as he's going, he finds out that, well, he's going to have to see Esau again. This is Esau, the person he took the, or cheated out of a, a birthright. And so then he finds out that Esau's got 400 men with him. <clears throat> yeah. Remember the story? And so he's getting ready to cross a river and even splits up his family. So he's got two wives, two servant girls that go with the wives. He's got 12 children. And so he even splits them up. His, his thought is, you know, if he kills half of them, the other half can get away. That's how scared he is. So we're talking pretty scared. So he gets them all off. He sends them off across this river, gets them going. They, they split up into two groups, and they're heading out. At that point, where he's by himself, and we get this weirdest story I've ever heard. 
which is some guy comes and wrestles with him. It's like, really? <clears throat> is that I've never heard this one before. He, he's there. He's got rid of all his family, all his goods, everything he owns. He's getting ready probably to rest, and then he'll be across behind him because he wanted all those people there first before he saw Esau. And, and some guy starts wrestling him. This is the story. I'm not making this one up, right? So someone wrestles with him, and he wrestles all night with him. And finally, it's daybreak, and the guy says, let me go. And Jacob's not letting him go. Jacob wants something out of him, and Jacob's wrestling. You get the impression there's something else going on in Jacob's mind. He's wrestling something else, not just this man. Just like us, when we wrestle men, when we wrestle with life, we're really wrestling something else, and that's what he's doing. And so he's, the guy says, let me go, and Jacob says, I will not let you go. And the guy, this is the weird part, reaches out, touches his hip, bing, and knocks his hip out of joint. It's like, you could have done that any time during the night. <laughs> any time. It's too easy, right? And so again, you know, the struggle that's going on, this wrestling match, is for a reason. And it's going all night. And so again, he's, Jacob's still holding on to this guy. And he says, the guy says, let me go. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so now we're getting a sense for what Jacob's looking for from this guy. He wants a blessing. He's, he's looked out at his family. He's looked at everything he owns. He's looked out and seen that 400 men can easily wipe him out, and, and, and that would be the end of his life. And so the struggle is with this guy at the, at the edge of the river, his struggle is with God, is who do I serve, who do I fear? And, and he senses that this guy is not a normal person. In fact, he, he later says, I've looked into the face of God. And I think one of the other prophets says um, he was with an angel. Regardless, the, the point is, is the struggle is the important thing. The struggle is what we do all of our lives. The struggle is the expectation. And we watch what Jacob did. He would not let go. He not let go until he was blessed. And this is the perseverance part that we see that we're told in Revelation, that we're told to conquer. And this is what conquering looks like. Conquering doesn't look like my hip's still good. He's limping around, and, and he gets a new name. So this is the other good part. So the angel says, what's your name? Jacob says, Jacob. He says, your name is now Israel. And then he tells him, why Israel? He says, because you have contended with God and with man, and you have overcome as you're limping around with your hip out of joint. You have overcome. And, and so that's an important point. Our victories in our conquering that we go through, it, it doesn't look like a healthy body necessarily. It doesn't look like I, I'm, you know, rocky or something, right? That's not what it looks like. It looks like I'm limping around, but I've, I've been blessed by God. And that's the, what the struggle is, and that's what the result is if, if you continue. So this is more of the weird part of the story. So Israel is, you've contended with God and man, and you've overcome. It's like, really? That's your name? Like, my name is Timothy. That means honor God or God honors. And I think, wow, that's a great name. I had no idea. I had to look that up a long time ago. But it, I like my name, right? So how would you like to be called struggles or contends with God and man and overcomes? That was your name. And then even more is not only do we name a whole people after it, we have a country that's named that today. It's not the country of Abraham. Shouldn't it be that? Or how about Isaac? Wouldn't that be better? 
This is the country of the people who struggle with God and with man, and they overcome. I think, well, that's not a bad name, actually. I think I'd like that. But, but you notice the first part is you contend or you struggle or you wrestle with God and with man. And so that's, that's, that's the piece here, that the commonality is we all wrestle and we all struggle and we all contend with God and man. And the way we overcome is we don't let go. We don't let go until we're blessed. And the blessing is not letting go. God will tell you when it's time to let go. But we hold on. We persevere and we conquer. And so that's a, a good example of, of, um, of how to walk through life. You know what? I think I've messed my slides up completely here. Let me just look here. That's the story. Okay, here's another one. Bad example. <clears throat> so I, I'm going to go through this quickly, too, just so you have a sense for um, what it looks like, what can be in people's minds when they, when they don't obey God or when they're kind of obeying God and when they're kind of doing stuff but they're not doing stuff. This is more representative of the attitude or the mindset of the people, the churches, the other five churches in Revelation who were not struggling well. They're, they're maybe giving up or they gave up at 2 in the morning instead of going till the, all the way through, right? So let me just read this. and It's a lot and I'll get out of the way here. A <clears throat> um, little background. So we're um, we are in Judah. Babylon is just wiped out and taken over Jerusalem. They've taken a bunch of people away, and there's some people left here still, some Jewish guys. And it's a pretty good cohort, but they're trying to decide, do we go to Egypt and get out of here? Because we don't know what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do. Is he going to wipe the rest of us out? Is he going to leave us here as slaves? What's going to happen? And so here's what we've got. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanna the son of Kariah, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing we should do. And Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you, behold, I will pray to the Lord, your God according to your request and whatever the Lord answers you I will tell you I will keep nothing back from you and then they said to Jeremiah may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us whether it is good or bad we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God this sounds really good doesn't it it does. It sounds like these people really want to do what the Lord's asking them to do. And, and you'll find this. In fact, we all have seen churches even in the present day where people say the right words, but their heart is not there. But these words look really good. They know the right words to say, and Jeremiah is willing to go to the Lord for them. And so the next, next thing, let me go one more here. Okay, so here's what happens. They tell Jeremiah, we're not, Jeremiah goes to the Lord, Lord says, stay here in Jerusalem, do not leave. Their response is, we're not staying here. So they have this beautiful request, and then they say, no, we're not doing it. And so they go to um, Egypt, and they take Jeremiah with them. So he's there, and he confronts them one more time. And, and this is what goes on here. And these are kind of long, but they're good. I always love 
Old Testament stories. Then all the men who knew that their wives had made offerings to other gods and all the women who stood by a great assembly, all the people who lived in Pathros in the land of Egypt, answered Jeremiah, as for the word you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed, make offerings to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her. As we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. But since we left off making offerings to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. So you, you get what's going on here is, is they have never, they have always served God and these other gods, this queen of heaven and whoever else they've got. And, and they think that all the, the punishment that got poured out on them in Jerusalem was because of their, um, their they, they weren't worshiping God. And so they've turned to worshiping God and God's already told them, you know, it's too late. And, and they didn't really turn to him anyway because they, they were given the chance to repent all the way through. Again, the point is, is their hearts are not where their words are. Their words tell you one thing, but their heart is completely different. And when their hearts are different, then you see things like you see with the churches, the five churches in Revelation. You see the sexual immorality. You see the, the error of Balaam, who as a prophet sold his ability to prophet, prophesy um, to people. Um, he, he used the gifts of God for money. He tried to profit off of that. Um, we don't know who the Nicolaitans were, but again, other heresies. But you let these creep in. And, or you're like Laodicea. You're actually comfortable. Somehow God's blessed you with money and possessions and and you just forget about them. You're kind of like, meh, right? Is that right? Yeah, it's like, I don't care. I, 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 I'm doing well, I got money, I got clothes, I got cars, I got houses. Like, I don't really need God, but we'll go to church and we'll, we'll kind of play at it, right? And so, so that's the heart. That's, that's one heart. You've got Jacob's heart who will wrestle you all the way through the night for the blessing of being in the presence of God. And he understands what that blessing is and you've got people who do not understand it. Okay. I'm going to move fast here. <clears throat> okay, so there, there's one other thing here. Um, this is part of the struggle, so I'm trying to focus on the struggles. We're all struggling. There's good struggle. There's bad struggle. We saw lots of examples. We have about told Marty I wouldn't do percentages, but I'm doing it anyway. So over 70%, about 70% of the churches were struggling badly in, out of the seven, right? So five out of seven is they're not doing good. 20% were okay. It's not great odds. It's not doesn't tell you a lot. In fact, uh, all the surveys we do today, it looks like a lot of the Christian churches are, you know, it's kind of about the same, same balance, right? One other thing about the, the walk, the struggle, that we all go through is that um, God's going to at some point ask you to do things you cannot do yourself. He will ask you to um, do things that are just beyond you. You have no clue. Like, why would I be up here today? I don't know. <laughs> but here I am. Yeah. And so sometimes the struggles are, you know what, I don't, I don't really want to be up here. I didn't seek it out. Um, but the Lord kept telling me maybe there's something I could share here. And, and so 
So those are the times when you're going to come before God and you're going to ask him why. Why do you want me to do this? I can't do this. I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. I've never done it. I have no desire to do it. Why am I here? And then you're going to be like Jacob and you're going to grab hold and you're not going to let go. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, I always love, there's a, a psalm where David talks about some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I trust in the Lord our God, or we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It, the, the point is, is David had chariots, and David had horses, and David was a man of valor and a, a courageous man in battle. You didn't want to be on the other side of him. And he had all the right things to be able to, to have victory, and yet during the struggle, it's like, you know what, I have those, and I'll use those. Those are the tools God gives me. But the things I don't have are, I don't have God's blessing. I don't have his, his, his leading. I don't have his interceding. And I think um, if any of you don't think that God intercedes in our lives, um, I'd be happy to talk with you and give you lots of examples of God being in my life where there's no reason that things should have happened the way they were. There's too many coincidences, things that could never be. And he does enter into our lives. And we struggle, and we're supposed to struggle, but those are always the toughest times. And so, so when we struggle, keep in mind, sometimes you're going to be asked to do things you can't do. And the point is, God will walk you through it, and then you will trust him, and in that trust, you'll learn, you'll deepen the love that you do and respect that you have for him. So the other thing I talked about early on was the kingdom, that we actually get to be part of this kingdom um, that Jesus is going to have. Let's see here. Nope. Here we go. I'm trying to go quick here. <coughs> I'm looking for this. Okay, so this is the good part. <coughs> Let me read this. And when he had taken the scroll, so Jesus is, God has the scroll, remember, the seven seals on it. And he says, who's worthy to take this? And the answer is nobody. That's the first response. And John starts to weep. And then the angel comes up and says, don't weep. The lamb who is slain, he can take it. And so Jesus takes it. And this is what happens. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This goes back to the, you know what, I don't think I'm worthy of um, reigning on the earth with God. Um, it, it seems like just a little bit too much. And to even be part of his kingdom seems like just a little bit too much. And then I think, you know what? But this is part of God's plan. He, he does this to honor his son. The, the, all of this creation that we live in, all of the things that we see when we look back in history and looking forward, they're all to honor and to glorify Jesus. That's what, that's what this is about. So there's one more here. God tells us that there's a, a new heaven and a new earth. Let me just do this too. He said to me, okay, this is, um, this is right at the end. This is right before Jesus comes and takes over everything. 
And Jesus said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I'll give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Again, here we are. We're the one who conquers. So if we grasp hold, if we struggle well, if we don't let go, this is what we get. And this is beyond, beyond understanding. <clears throat> I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And we see again this, this huge contrast between what we get and, and what is in store for those who disobey. One other point, this is kind of interesting too, and I found this a long time ago um, in Daniel, that Daniel, uh, he had a dream, or Nebuchadnezzar actually had the dream. Nebuchadnezzar asked who can interpret this. Daniel said nobody can interpret it. Um, he went and prayed with his buds, and God gives Daniel the revelation that the dream or the vision is of a statue, and it's a gold head and a silver chest, and the midsection is bronze, and the feet and legs are iron mixed with clay. And, and so Daniel interprets what this is, and it's basically there's four different kingdoms that will come. And the, the first one is the gold, and that's the one that they're in. And, and there's an interesting thing here that happens. So in the days of the, those kings, and this is Daniel telling Nebuchadnezzar what's going on, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. And so that the, when you look at it, you don't see it right away, but he says, um, in the days of the kings, of the, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And this is the part that caught my eyes. You know what? So this kingdom's been, been set up from from the beginning, from Babylon's time, that, that God has been taking his people and the people who, like Jacob, who wrestle and are, are conquer, those people are part of the kingdom and he's, he's sliding them off to the side. And then the next kingdom comes and the next earthly kingdom and there's more people coming into God's kingdom. And it goes on and on and on through time until now, that even now that God is establishing his kingdom. And his kingdom is, this is us. We're told we're the kingdom. We're the kingdom, we're priests to God. And that's what we, we get to have. And so that's, that's a, huge, a huge motivation, if you will, to do the wrestling, to know that the, the hell is not good and the heaven is beyond belief. And so, so it's important to keep that in mind. It's not a small thing that we are part of that kingdom. And, it, and it's not just us. That kingdom, it, in my mind, it helps me to say this kingdom is a kingdom that's been growing throughout history. And here we are today. So here's... How do you struggle well? So we saw how Jacob struggled, but how do you prepare yourself to struggle like Jacob? What's it take to do that? Um, and most people don't do well. Let's see, after this. This is where I want to be. So this is right before 
God gives the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And he's uh, about to present them, and I think you all remember this story. They come to a mountain. It's Mount Sinai, and it is, it's smoking. This thing, it talks about the, the smoke coming up like out of a furnace. See, if you've ever been around a furnace, uh, even, I've seen blast furnaces for steel. That's kind of what goes in my mind, and, and it is, um, it is awesome. It's just, it's, it's something you can't even imagine. So there's smoke, there's earthquakes, the, the ground is shaking. Um, we have a trumpet blast. We have, um, let's see, I think those are the, the big ones, enough to scare the people. So here's what they say. That, and this is Moses. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, trumpet again, right, announcing. Here's the trumpet announcing. And the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. So catch these words. When it says trembled, do you know what tremble is? I haven't trembled because I'm scared. Yeah, we know what it is, but you ever seen somebody tremble because they think they're about to die? This is what's going on. These people think they're going to die. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let, the, let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, here's the key words, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you so that you may not sin. So he says, do not fear because he wants you to fear him. Does that make any sense? Okay, what he wants them to do, he, he wants people not to fear him as a God who's going to crush you or kill you or destroy you. You need to fear him as the God, and he comes down in this mountain that's smoking and shaking and the trumpet's going off. You need to understand who God is. He is a God who is a fearful God, and, and you do not want to be on the hell side of this contrast, right? You do not want to be there because it's going to be harsh. And so it is, and, and there's one more. Let me just do this too. It's a little longer, but it's good. <clears throat> it's in the Bible. How can it not be good, right? <laughs> and you said, behold, this is um, Moses again. We're in Deuteronomy. So we were in Exodus before. Now we're in Deuteronomy. He's kind of given a summary of what's going on one more time. And, he, and he's telling the Israelites what, what happened again. He's recounting it for them. And he says, you said, behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. So that should not happen. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us, all that the Lord our God will speak to you, and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard the words. This is the Lord's response to the correct words. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. So God's response is, oh, that they would fear me and keep my commandments. That, that fear, oftentimes people talk about fear as reverential trust. That's a common one in the Bible. Um, and there's certainly times that that's appropriate. But this is trembling fear, but it's not trembling fear of a God who's about to destroy me. It's trembling fear of a God who has the authority to destroy me, that he's the one who judges what I do. And so that's the fear is please understand that there will be justice 
that I can make this mo mountain smoke like this and burn, and, and there will be justice at some point. And, and this is important. There's, um, I'm going to show you some other because there's too many passages. This is Samuel <clears throat> talking to the Israelites, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. This is a psalm. I'm not sure if this is David or not. Um, now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Again, we have these odd combinations. You serve a God who can destroy, who can judge righteously and justly, and so you should fear who he is, but you don't fear him because he loves you, and he's done everything possible to redeem us. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Again, the contrast. There's always the contrast and they're frightening. If you pay attention to the words, you should be fearful. The fear of the Lord, Solomon. The fear of the Lord. Oh no, I'm sorry, not yet. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So we see God commands us to be fearful. He commends the Israelites for doing it. It's good for wisdom. Samuel tells the Israelites they should do it. But wait. This is Paul. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Fear and trembling. This is trembling again trembling. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Jesus. Jesus tells us to fear that person, not because he's going to destroy you, but because he has the authority to, to judge. And so we find out fear. This is, this is in Jacob's mind. You know Jacob was fearful of Esau at that point. And he's trying to make a judgment. Am I more afraid of Esau or am I more afraid of God? And if I don't have a blessing from God, how am I going to get past Esau? So that's, that's the, some of the pieces that go into how we do this. So it's always good. This is kind of the introspection piece of this. Is how, do you, how do you deal with this? Like, in my own life, what are the things that I am afraid of? What cause me fear? Because whatever we fear, if you fear something more than you fear God, then you're in the position of those people that Jeremiah was dealing with who went to Egypt. They, they feared for not having all the things that they enjoyed in Jerusalem. Um, Jacob really, what, what he was fearing is losing his family to Esau, but even more than that, the thing he, he longed for was the blessing. And he feared God. It didn't matter. Everything else kind of slides away. So, so there's fear. This is how we, we be good conquerors and how we walk in this world. Um, but there's more than that. And let me just do this one here. So we've got, this is Solomon now. This is the last verse of Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter. All has been heard Fear God and his, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So I've got the, one of the wisest men that ever walked the earth, and he reiterates again. Fear God, keep his commandments. 
And then we have this little interchange between a, a scribe and Jesus. <clears throat> and this, is, this elaborates a little bit more on what's it mean to keep his commandments. And I think we all know this. I don't think I'm telling you anything you haven't heard before. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, and the Jews answer this to this day, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And so we see the, if you take Solomon's words and you expand on them with what Jesus said, we, we have kind of a simple prescription of how is it that we walk? How do we conquer? And so we fear, fear the God who judges. And, and the fear, I guess this is important for me, the, the fear is a, it's a gift to us. This is what keeps us from being stupid from doing things that are not going to be well for us. Um, if, you, if you kind of step back for a moment and you get the right perspective on what's important in life and who am I trying to please and who do I fear? I fear God. And yet that's not all. There's the love part. This is the commandments. And we know this, that we love the Lord our God with everything in us. And we love our neighbor. The neighbor part, to me, always comes from the overflow of that love for God. I cannot love God that much and not love my neighbors. That's who he came for. And that's what we see God requires of people who conquer, of people like Jacob, of people from Smyrna and from Philadelphia. One more piece on how we, we're told to love God, but that, that's kind of vague, too. It's like, how do you love God? Like, I, I don't know how that works, except we actually do. We actually understand that any relationship that we want takes, takes us to have some effort. I, I can't love my wife unless I always love my wife. That means I think about her all the time. I, I try to take care of things that I know she wants me to do or would please her. It, it also means that sometimes when I'm just tired and I don't feel like loving anybody, that sometimes I just remember um, what she's done. And in the past, like, how did our relationship start? I, I recall those things. Um, with Cheryl, most of you know who Cheryl was in my life. Um, Cheryl did this really nasty thing to me one day. I told her I loved her, and this is what she said. Why? I thought, what? I told you I loved you. What else do you want? It's like, that's not enough. And, and she did it with kind of a little smirk on her face, but she knew exactly what she was doing. And, and that was a gift to me because I thought I, I couldn't, it didn't come to my mind immediately. And I thought, that's terrible. How come? And then, so I went and hid my, in the garage, I think, for a while. <laughs> and I tried to remember why I loved her. And it's overwhelming why I loved her at the time, right? And, and yet... Um, and yet, when she asked me why, I couldn't tell her why. And I always remember that because I always thought that's how you should love the Lord. That when, when somebody asks you why, I can tell you I love you, Jesus. And, and you hear people say that all the time. And I'm always, I'm terribly because I don't trust anybody until I know them. And so I think, oh, you're just saying the words because it makes me feel good and you feel good. And nobody will know what a snake you are, right? It's like, yeah. <clears throat> It's not that bad, but it's kind of along those lines. 
anyway, though, we should always be ready. That, that would be an indication in your mind. If you want to you test yourself and say, am I walking closely with the Lord? Then next time you're praying and you're thinking, um, remember why. Go through. Tell the Lord, I love you, and this is why I love you, and recount those things. And, and, and then it will flow just like it did for me, and it flows every day. And it's, it's not something, if you want a relationship that's precious and that's deep, and, and that you will never give up, then that's something that you take care of. You don't do that once a month or once a week. That's a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment moment way we walk before God. Love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so that's a, my own little prop to help me. So here's the other thing. As you, you remember why you love him, I just wanted to go through a few things that help me remember why I love the Lord. <clears throat> and, and they kind of reach all the way down to my soul um, because they tell me who I am first and then what God's done for me. So as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. This is the, the balance again or the contrast, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the Son of God. And so I start to remember the, the harsh things. Let me just go one more. Not yet. just going to read this part because I'm not sure I could repeat it off the top of my head. <clears throat> It'll take a minute, so bear with me. Just track with me. So if we just pause for a moment, <clears throat> we remember what it costs to be in this relationship with God. We, re we remember that a holy God offered his only son up as a sacrifice for our sins to redeem us from the hell that we deserve. And the thought of a righteous God suffering hell in our place is too much to consider. We know Jesus suffered physically on the cross, as did the thieves who were crucified with him. What the thieves could not suffer, though, was the anguish of soul that Jesus suffered as God deserted him when he needed God the most. When the Son of God, who is one with God, was torn. And our Lord, who is one with his Father, the Lord who knows why he came to earth and why he had to suffer, cried out on that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of suffering, Jesus is so undone that he needs to ask once more. God has to ask once more, why am I here? Why is this happening? And the depth of the love for us that kept him on the cross in the middle of grasping for a reason to continue is unfathomable to us. We are but dust. We cannot be in the presence of a God like this. We know love for God, but it is not like this. God asks us to be faithful unto death so that we can be with him in heaven. He does not ask us to sacrifice our sons. That does not even enter his mind. He does not ask us to be faithful unto death so that we can then suffer hell like his son. He does what he would never ask of us in love so that we can overcome, so that we can conquer, so that we can dwell with him for eternity. 
And as the relationship between Jesus and his Father is holy, so too is the relationship we enter into with God. And understanding the bond between the God who sacrificed his son for us and Jesus who offered his life as a sacrifice for us, we remember that to treat this relationship to God and Jesus casually or even with contempt as if it was not important is to provoke Almighty God. In understanding this, we can begin to understand the stark contrast between God's justice and his blessing. Why is heaven so good and heaven and hell so bad? The difference between the blessing of heaven and the judgment of hell is absolutely consistent with the sacrifice that was made. The cost was so great that heaven must be beyond our ability to imagine what God has prepared for us and the justice of hell so severe and extreme that we shudder when we consider it. And now we begin to understand a little bit more the words from Revelation as God honors his son. And then here now. So this is, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So this is what's happening. And I saw the dead, great, and small standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Again, it seems like that's just too much. Why so much? Why, why so harsh? And yet what was done, our sin, and what Jesus suffered for it, it demands nothing less than this, this brutal, harsh hell that they, people will go through. And on the other side, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. And night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And this is the heaven that God promises us, the the penalty that Jesus paid demands nothing less than that, that it was worth that much, that, that we are worth that much, that that's what he gives us. Give me three more minutes. So this is Paul. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I... I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. It never fails. And so this is the love that God has for us. This is the love that he asks of us for him. And this is how we conquer. This is how we keep the words of the revelation that John gave us. This is how we overcome and walk in this world and persevere. And we will struggle. Never forget that. Yeah, we will struggle. And so we love God. That's how we walk. This is the application and from the overflow of that love for God, we love our neighbors and we fear God. It's a gift from him to keep us from being foolish. <clears throat> and if we pers persevere in our struggles, then we live. So here's almost the last one. Now in all these things, <clears throat> We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or death, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to set us, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Last one. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book. That's how it began. That's how we end here. That blessed are the people who struggle, who struggle beyond their own means and they can't, they can't do it and God's there, who don't let go until they are blessed. They're people who, who value God's blessing more than anything else. The people who understand that the fear of God is a gift. It's something that is given to us to help us. So that's what I couldn't do. Yeah, yeah, that's what I couldn't do when Marty asked about it. So there's one last thing, and then I'm done. I don't know if I have a slide. Um, everybody, there's all sorts of celebration. And at the end of that passage in chapter 5, and it says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying, this is the part we're going to say in a moment, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The reason I say we have to say that is when you get to heaven, if you don't know the words, you're not going to be able to say it. See, <laughs> you need to memorize this. This is Revelation 5.13. I, I should have had it on a slide. You're going to have to read it yourself. Or you can pull it up and even. We've got Bibles. I think it's important. So that way, when you're there and everybody else is saying these words and they're praising God, you'll be able to chime in because you have struggled and persevered and conquered. This is Revelation 5.13. Got it? I'll, I'll yell out. To him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. I think that's all, Marty. <laughs>